Sports Day in the D. John on here back with him from the break. Said we're going to get into some basketball documentaries. I got two in particular. We're going to end up doing one, and then we'll break, and then we'll come back into the other. And then, as I promised, we'll get some trade deadline stuff and some aftermath stuff. I know the deadline has already passed, but there's a few things that you might want to be talking about. And uh, just to let you know about in terms of where the playoff picture is going to shape up. So the most exciting part of my day right now is to bring you the audio of both of these documentaries. Got a chance to watch the Big O documentary as well as LeBron James All-Star Interview. Got my notes down and I have the audio clips as well. So it's going to be some good stuff. What I'm going to end up doing is I'll play for you some audio quotes and then we'll stop along the way and discuss. When we get into a certain section, which is the third section of where he talks about Oscar does his career in Cincinnati and in Milwaukee in the NBA before we get into that third section I'm going to give you a little bit of prep so you can learn a little bit about Oscar Robertson you know him as the big O the guy that averaged a triple double he's a complete beast and he was one of the quintessential first big point guards he also played with Luol Cinder which was better known as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar the guy with the unstoppable hook shot so he's played with some incredible guys in his era and he's got a little bit of knowledge to drop on you and from what he's learned especially going in from his career what he grew up with much like Bill Russell having to deal with a lot of racism and just some different times in his time of living and in his game of basketball and then as the league goes along how he's able to help shape the league and change what players are able to enjoy today so let's get into the first few quotes Big O is going to talk about him not being able to dunk the basketball not because he couldn't dunk it but he wasn't allowed to and then just some certain things that point guards should be able to do so let's get into this first quote, and I really hope you enjoy these. Again, join the discussion, facebook.com slash tbugunslinger, and at Twitter, at John Ryanot. So let's get into the Big O documentary, and here's the first part of it. It's going to delay for maybe a couple seconds, but you'll have everything here for you. And it's just so a way I can stop everything. But here's the first part of the quote. This is talking to him about in terms of not being able to dunk the basketball. I pushed a lot of stuff about in practice when I was in high school. He said, you know what, it showboats on this team. I never forget one time, it was coming down the court. I used to do those things Marcus Haynes did with dribbling, yes. fall down, lay down. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I went behind my back, he blew the whistle. He said, hey, listen, he said, if you ever do that again, you'll never play for me. And isn't that a little bit different in terms of what the big O is talking about, in terms of how basketball is today? A lot of these guys, the and one, everything else, all the stuff that they grew up with in like Rucker Park in New York, you know how Doc J and everything was, he's been able to get his name and everything on New York as well, or Rafer Alston skipped to my Lou. I don't know if you remember him in the NBA, it's a little bit later, point guard and all that, try to make his living in terms of being able to show what he can do. In fact, Oscar Robertson, like we said, he's a big point guard like Magic Johnson, one of the quintessential bigs. He could do a lot of stuff, but if he's not able to allow the dunk the ball in practice, much like Doc J couldn't do that as well, it's just hard to showcase your skills. Let's get another one here about Big O talking about how he has to work to try to get his jumper. You'll see what I mean. Let me tell you a story. 
in the gym we had, like we had one main court, had baskets on the side. Okay. So you couldn't shoot from the front because that's where all the guys were playing. Mm -hmm. So I shot from the side. That's, that's where I started doing that. Because of this gym we had was a gym that, you know, once they played on the main court, there was no room to shoot. The mid-range game was very much a part of what it used to be. There was no three-point line. Well, this if you talk about Jerry West and all of that, too, that Big O is going to talk about, maybe, if I got some of the audio in there as well. But when he didn't play against these guys, or do you think about the greatest guys in the world that could shoot Jerry West, there was no three-point line back then. So you have to find your way in the mid-range game, post up, and do a lot of the other skills that certain guys don't have today. But this is Big, big O on what point guards should be able to do and what the game plan should be. can shoot off of one and two dribbles because when you drive to the hole you can stop it in. but I still only think you Kobe and Jordan well Kobe and Jordan my era the ones that I really knew how they mastered it, along with the pump fake just simple two dribbles up and down pump fake and well I don't think people teach that anymore if you look at college basketball today guards don't probe they don't they get they get against a zone they pass the ball around all, all, all over time get down to like five seconds to try to shoot a jump shot you should get the ball inside Create, attack them. Create. They can look. That's why they play zone because they can't guard you. Basketball today, the zone defenses. That's when you get. You get three point shooters. Have done. I don't think you win unless you got an inside presence. So Big O's talking about a dominant inside presence as well. And what point guards should do? They should get in there and they should penetrate and dump it off to the big guys and all that. Think about how the NBA is today. And in terms of the opinion, I see one guy in Charlotte, especially that just signed a Big L Jefferson. Don't you think he's an old school big man to be able to hook with either hand and try to score? And it would be nice if somebody can go down there and penetrate and get him some easy baskets. He's able to do that either way with hook off the off hands and have some moves. But it's a little bit of what point guards don't do. And I wonder, in my line of thinking and what I grew up with in terms of 90s basketball, when you talk about Michael Jordan and all of that, sure, he redefined the game. But if a lot of people want to be like Michael Jordan, you can't be the quintessential dominant guy if you always have to have the basketball in your hand. Michael Jordan didn't have to do that. But when you think about a guard, essentially, that tried to be like Michael, Allen Iverson. Could have been the greatest point guard in the world, but he never really wanted to set up his own teammates. He's very good at getting inside the lane and doing all the stuff he wanted to do. But I don't think Allen Iverson's first thought in his head was pass. I know that he didn't play with the greatest players in the world around him on that 76ers team and still won a game in the finals. But I wonder if that's just because he didn't have the mindset to be able to do all that, so he chose not to pass as much. In this next transition... With Oscar Robertson, he talks about some of the greatest players that he's ever played with. He had some tips for Kareem. He had some tips about vision, and he talked about Elgin Baylor. Let me play these uninterrupted, uninterrupted here, and then let's have a little bit of a discussion about it. And then I'll give you some background in for the next section. All the games I played with Bill at the All-Star game, we never lost. And Kareem, when I met him, you know, he was emerging as a great star. You know, I could see the potential in him. Everybody went with a setup. They wanted to see Kareem play. I mean, you know, giant guy could run, could shoot the hook shot. And, you know, but to the certain things that Kareem was doing, you know, he hadn't experienced it before. Like, he didn't go to his left. I said, well, use your left hand sometimes. I said, fake it, go back to the drop step, hit the blue fadeaway jump shot. I said, and this, I said, you got your sky hook. There's no way I can get to that. But do these other little things, you know. 
Heck, you know, he learned them. You know, Kareem was a smart, intelligent person, great passer. I, I told him this too once. We were playing and you know, I'd cut and they'd fake the ball. Boom. So once he passed the ball, we were playing against the Lakers and I missed a layup. It went in the halftime and the guys were laughing like crazy. So he blew that layup. I said, yeah, I said, you know why? I said, hell, I, I never expected to get the damn ball. <laughs> a lot of guys today, you know, they get a double team. They don't know what to do with it. They don't know where it's coming. You know, if a guy's double teams me, I know who he's guarding. Shoot the jumper, could go to the basket. You can keep him going to the basket. I mean, if you want to get, if you want to get there, you can get there. I, what I don't understand is the press, how they've gone away from Elgin as a great basketball player. I think what happens today is that when these sports writers get into a room on this old current players. Of course, some guys are great players. They saw Larry and Magic and what these guys play and whatnot. They didn't, they didn't see Elgin. They had to have seen him do something. I mean, here, guy, when you ever. 30, 37 points a game and, and about 15 rebounds. He just knew how to play. I, I wish we could go back in time. So there you go. That's some of the stuff that Big O was talking about in terms of the guys that he's played with. He even shared some tips for Luol Cinder, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and talked about Algin Baylor. Algin Baylor never got a chance to see him play either, but he did play with Jerry West and Gail Goodrich. And Elgin Baylor was one of those guys that could totally attack the rim, especially if you play NBA 2K and you get a chance to play with the Legends, you'll see what I mean. But he was very smart in all aspects of the game, and I think with Oscar Robertson, in terms of all the other guys that he played with, especially Kareem, they knew what they needed to do in order to get their shot off and where to go, where to be on the court to get these shots and understand every aspect of the game. I think that this is some of the topics and things, especially when he talks about double teams and passing vision and all of that, that gets lost on players, and you only really see it in the great point guards that are able to do all that stuff. When you think about great point guards in the league today, you easily think about Chris Paul, right? With Chris Paul, he's able to actually find his teammates all the time, and he knows when to go and get his shot. I see a lot of Oscar Robertson and Chris Paul. And I see a lot of that in Magic Johnson as well. And despite the size differential between Magic, Big O, and Chris Paul, I think Chris Paul is just as every bit as good. Certainly, he's not able to do a lot of the post-up stuff. But a lot of the things that Oscar talks about, you see a lot in Chris Paul. You just wish you could see that same mentality in terms of a lot of players in the NBA because I think that they would be better suited as long as you know your surroundings and you figure out everything else that's going on. You can be completely dominant without always having to have the basketball in your hand. If you have knowledge and vision of where your teammates are supposed to be, that makes it easier for you to play the game and figure out exactly what you want to do. Alright, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to break for this first section and then we can get into some more of the interview. These are going to be some long things, otherwise it's going to be like a 20 minute thing. You're not going to listen to the whole thing. So let me just break it up a little bit, get in the next few sections, and then we can uh, maybe break one more time or get into the LeBron James interview. So we'll come right back. Big O is going to talk about his career in Cincinnati and Milwaukee and the pros and some of the stuff that he had to deal with in high school and I'll give you some background and all of that as well so come back for more this is the Big O interview John out here with you on Sports Day in the D hope you enjoy 
I know some of the segments are a little bit boring here, drawn out with you, Sports Day in the D, because I'm not like the most enthusiastic entertainer. There's not any crazy sound effects or anything else I can play for you. But this is just a history and a drop of knowledge in terms of Oscar Robertson. I really enjoyed this interview, and the LeBron James interview is just as good, too. I like the way that that last segment went in terms of being able to split it up. So we're going to play a couple more things, and then I'll split it up one more time. So this will be three sections for the Big O, so this will be part two. This one, like we mentioned, is going to talk about the pro careers in Cincinnati and Milwaukee, and then talk about his high school stuff. So what I figured what I'll do right now is give you some background in terms of what Big O has done. He's going to talk a little bit about the high school, so I'll save that, and I'll save some of the other stuff. But let me get a couple of stats in here for you, because these are some of the quotes that I chose to leave out that was in the cutting room floor, and maybe some of the stats you could have. So... Oscar played in the 1960 Olympics with Jerry West, Jerry Lucas, and Walt Bellamy. Those are like some just big-time legends that you know about or you've heard of. In the NBA, on the Cincinnati Royals prior to the 60-61 season, Robertson made himself eligible for the 1960 NBA draft. He was drafted by the Cincinnati Royals as a territorial pick, and in his rookie season, Robertson averaged 30.5 points, over 10 rebounds, and almost 10 assists, leading the league. In 61 and 62, Oscar Robertson became the only player in NBA history to average a triple-double for an entire season, with almost 31 points, 12.5 rebounds, and about 11.5 assists per game. He broke the assist record that was set by Bob Cousy, who had 715 assists two seasons earlier. Oscar Robertson at this point in the 61-62 season already had 900. It's crazy. And then there's only one other thing I want to give to you, and then we'll uh, leave some of this later, because he's going to talk about a little bit of it, so I don't want to spoil all of it. In 1963 and 64, Big O averaged 31.5 points per game, almost 10 rebounds, and he had 11 assists per game. The averages for his first five NBA seasons were a triple-double, which was over 30 points, 10.5 rebounds, and 10.5 assists per game. Big O won the NBA MVP and became the only player other than Bill Russell and Wilt Chamberlain to win it from 1960 and 1968. And if you think that is just crazy numbers and in terms of guys that maybe the competition wasn't as good back then because Bill Russell and Wilt Chamberlain always dominated against guys that might not be as good, the size differential might be a little bit different in terms of a Wilt Chamberlain being seven foot two. And all of that. You know Will Chamberlain had that game where he had 100 points in one game and all of that. So with Bill Russell, you talk about Bill Russell having more rings than what he can have on both of his hands with fingers and thumbs. He has 11. So being able to do that and then being able to get an MVP on a guy that had over 100 points in a game in Will Chamberlain, I think that says a lot about Oscar Robertson. And the fact that he could even win an NBA MVP during that time when Russell and Chamberlain are playing, I think tells you how good Oscar Robertson is and where he should be in that Mount Rushmore. Because in my opinion, you talk about the, the four best players to ever play the game, I don't know if I'm going to include Larry Bird myself. I might be thinking about another person to put up there, but I will put Michael Magic and Oscar Robertson. I'm just still trying to figure out who my fourth is going to be, whether or not it's Tim Duncan, 
who certainly go in the Hall of Fame and all of that, but there is no room to have anyone else other than Big O, Michael, and Magic. you got to find someone else, but certainly Big O deserves to be there. So let's talk about Big O and his career in Cincinnati and Milwaukee. He talks about, and the fact you mentioned where he grew up in high school, talk about 1955, he grew up right in the era when things were changing, and there was a lot of racism, just like Bill Russell. So let's talk about it. He doesn't get any respect as a pro in Cincinnati and Milwaukee. You know, they didn't even read the contract because they didn't realize they couldn't trade you. Well, this is ironic that when Bob Cousy came here with the thought to move the team from Cincinnati to Kansas City, he wanted to trade me to Baltimore for Gus Johnson. And I think Gus Johnson was hurt then. So in other words, he, he just wanted to get rid of me. Let's get in a little bit more of this. He's going to talk about the standards as a black athlete, and then I'll give you some background information again if we need to clarify. It's just that as a black athlete, you're held to a higher standard. They want you to win, you know. I mean, they don't they don't want you to play good and go go eight and three. They want you to be twelve and zero. They they want they, if you're in the game, they want you to produce at all costs. They said I hadn't done anything for ten years. And, you know, it didn't bother me what they said, but when the, when the newspaper started siding with the comments that were made, then I said, that's, that's, that's it for me. They're going to say that I never, I never, I never did this, I never went after a loose ball. Yeah. You know, it was just, I mean, after all I've done for them. The quote was, you, you never had a rug burn in 10 years in Cincinnati. That's all I've done for them. Yeah. This is what, and, pe and, and people start believing that stuff, man. I was telling my wife, I said, you know what, I, don't, I never play your game. In a big magazine, uh, will cover three pictures of me fading, like like I'm going out, going out back. Yeah, so you just won a championship. Yeah. <laughs> then, or, then the damn guy, the writer who wrote, come up and want to do an interview. I said, man, you get the hell away from me. I said, I don't even speak to you. And it seems, you know, people pile on and pile on, and all of a sudden it becomes the truth, and you're like, okay, if that's what you want to do. Well, they resent you being a star. They resent you going home living with your wife and your kids. I, I didn't like it because they try to take advantage of you. Because they could. From that point on, I just wouldn't talk to them. That's what they really hated. Hated more, hated more than anything. So let me give you a little bit of background. I already gave you the stats that Big O had put up. Talking about, there was quotes from people that said he never got a rug burn in 10 years. And he also talked about head coach Bob Cousy. Bob Cousy was one of the great Celtics point guards. Bob Cousy, before 1970, he's going to get into a little bit more of this is Oscar, talking about the Oscar Robertson suit. But Bob Cousy was very jealous of all the attention that Oscar Robertson was getting. You know, the guy was totally averaging a triple-double, totally dominating the league. And then when he got paired, when Oscar did, got paired with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Lowell Cinder, with the Milwaukee Bucks, you know, the Milwaukee Bucks haven't been good since... Oscar Robertson left. <laughs> that was a long time ago. They were able to dominate and win division titles, and they did get a championship, and they won division titles until 1974, lost in the finals of the Boston Celtics that year, and his team never got the credit that he deserved. And in terms of Bill Russell, talking about that documentary as well that he had, you can look up that on uh, your listen as well, when I talked about some of those documentaries with Charles Barkley and all that too. He never really got the respect that he deserved. So he got his championship. He averaged some crazy points, and he played with 
he already was one of the best to ever play the game, Big O. And then the same thing with Kareem. Got a chance to play with him, but still never got the respect that he deserved. And now they're going to try to forcibly talk about this next topic. After all of that, with the division titles, the championship, and everything else, Milwaukee, all these guys are going to try to force him into a retirement. Take a listen. How was your retirement? My last year in Milwaukee, the Bucks came to me. They said they want to have this day for us. So I thought about when I went home. I said, you know what? I won't play here again. She said, what do you mean? This is not a day. This is the retirement that they're having. I said, and you know, I said, you know what? The sad thing about they not men have to come and tell me that. People don't know this respect certain players when it comes to what they can do for a team. I've been invited more out to Sacramento for games and, and, and different functions and whatnot than I have been in Milwaukee. Uh, maybe Milwaukee feels they don't need anything. They don't need anything. <laughs> they, they Milwaukee has been good since, <laughs> since you left. What Oscar was talking about before we got into that quote was there was supposed to be a day for him to celebrate called Oscar Robertson Day for all the achievements and everything else that he's done for Milwaukee. You know, keep in mind he was already badmouthed as we talked about throughout the papers and all of that, saying that he hadn't gotten a rugby and he hadn't totally sacrificed himself and all of that. He had to play through all of that, and especially with his head coach was the guy that when they did play Oscar Robertson that despised him. So they said, we're going to go ahead and have this day, and they throw it into a fake retirement ceremony, and they try to get Oscar Robertson out of there, especially when he already talked about they're just trying to forcibly trade the guy when he's injured. So he's went through a lot of criticism in his pro career, but again, that has very little impact on him as much as what happened to him when he had to go through the same things in high school. And let's listen to some of these quotes, and then I'll give you some background on that as well. We'd go downtown, and I guess the mayor's there, and they said hello. Then they'd take us back out to this black Northwestern community center. Well, I didn't know the difference, you know. And then later on, you hear that they felt that they, they didn't want us in town because they felt we would turn the, turn the city up. You know, other than the color of our skin, we were just like anyone else. We wanted to went to school, played ball. And fortunate for us, we won basketball games. In. After you won the championship, you were depressed. Yes. It's hard to forgive them for this. I try, but I can't. We weren't savages. We were a group of civilized, intelligent young people who, through the grace of God, are happy to get together and win some basketball games. We just won the biggest game in the history of Indianapolis basketball. They took our innocence away from us. How can I forgive him for that? I eventually left the bonfire and the celebrator, stretching out on the living room floor. I turned on the television. My dad stood behind me, not asking a question, but concerned. I said, Dad, they don't want you. You know, because the first time it happened, I, I wasn't aware of it, but I was the second time. Uh, you know, you just, you just wonder. I mean, I when, when, you're, when you're black, I'm sure you understand the situation in America. You don't think you're different from anybody else. No. You do the same things they do. You, sometimes you make mistakes and sometimes, and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you do great things. But, but for people to, to think that, that you're this devil, you know, that, that, uh, that you, you got horns growing out of you and whatnot, you know, it, it just, you start thinking about that, you know. I didn't I quite understand a lot of things that were happening because I went from a home black school to the University of Cincinnati where I didn't know what kind of basketball team they had. I just wanted to get an education. So there you go. That's some of the stuff that uh, Oscar Robertson talking about that he had to deal with 
orders in high school and going into the University of Cincinnati. And let's get you some background here in terms of high school. And Oscar Robertson went to Crispus Attics in Indiana. As a junior, he finished his season 31-1 and in 1955, and he won the first state championship for an the first for any all-black school in the entire nation, in the entire USA. In the senior season, they finished 31-0 and and won a second straight title, and they were the first team in Indiana to secure a perfect season and 45 straight victories. So the press and everything in Indiana, because the last two seasons of him having just one loss and two straight titles, they felt like they had to write something about him just forcibly, saying that this is an all-black team, He's going to have to deal with a lot of racism and all of that stuff. And you heard Oscar Robertson talk about it. He said that they, the people thought that they had horns growing out of their skulls, had to deal with a lot of other things and just a lot of rude things that people say. And it's a lot worse back then than it is now. Maybe their perception of it still is that racism hasn't reared its ugly head, you know, hasn't cleared up. But a lot of the stuff that Oscar had to deal with, it, quite frankly, in the interview, he only talked about some of that, but he hadn't specified specific situations that I'm sure were a lot worse. And the fact that all of these guys feel like they had to do something just because of that, they didn't want to do that because the school was all black and there was a lot of other things for them to deal with in terms of racism. So they just didn't want to do it. They felt like they were forced to do it. So that was very hurtful to Oscar Robertson, especially with the way that even said with his dad, like, they don't even want us to be here. They just feel like they have to do that. And then there's one other thing, too. After graduation, Big O enrolled in the University of Cincinnati, and he continued to dominate his opponents while he was there with an average of over 34 points a game, third highest in college history. And d despite his success on the courts, Robertson's college career was uh, just soured by racism. Road trips to segregated cities were especially difficult, with Robertson often sleeping in college dorms instead of hotels because he wasn't allowed to stay there. So those are some of the things, especially, like you mentioned, if you get the audio that I had a little bit with uh, Bill Russell in terms of all of that in the documentary of what I've talked about. Bill Russell talked about having to grow up with it, and luckily when he said he was in a city where he was at, he didn't have to deal with it as much, but... Thank God he played there, and thank God he said he played for the Celtics because Red Auerbach was very accepting of blacks playing in the NBA. And for Oscar Robertson, he didn't quite have that luxury in terms of a coach, especially with the guy that he played against, the Bob Cousy, where all those guys were trying to force him out. Let's take another break, and we'll conclude the Big O interview. We're going to talk about the league status today and some advice that Oscar wants to share for some of the stars in today's game. I hope you enjoy the interview so far. This is John Ott, Sports in the D. When I come back, we'll conclude the documentary of the Big O. Stay tuned. John Ott back with you here at Sports in the D. It's March 7, 2014. This is going to be the third and final part of the Big O interview of Oscar Robertson. If you can catch the interview on NBA TV that's narrated by Chris Webber, I know you've heard another voice in there. If you hadn't picked it up yet, it is Chris Webber. Get the interview on NBA TV. You know, just tape it any way you can. DVR it. Watch it. I have all of the quotes with me, but if I know I go ahead and upload that, I could be subject to copyright. But I think taking a little bit of this just for a discussion in terms of a radio show to get bits and pieces, just about 10 minutes of uh, 
documentary commentary pretty much that I think that it'll be okay if we go ahead and break this up into segments. But I totally encourage you to watch and listen and gather as much information as you can and try to learn a lot of bit, little bit about the greats that have come before you. And if it seems like I'm a little bit uncomfortable talking about some of these things in terms of racism, I gotta tell you, to be honest, I am. Because in 2014, I still believe that a lot of that stuff goes, that goes on. And I know that, that a lot of that stuff is kept under wraps and, and I feel like, Oscar Robertson could open up even a little bit more, just like I thought Bill Russell could have opened up a little bit more to Bill Simmons in terms of being able to talk about some of the, the, the stories. But quite frankly, the way that the uh, ra- ratings are going up in terms of these parental shows, I think that there's some things that he can't talk about or maybe he's uncomfortable about talking about. And I still think that in 2014... I hope that this stuff has got a lot better in terms of all of it, but I still think people have to deal with a lot of things that they shouldn't have to deal with, and it's uncomfortable the way that certain people treat certain people, that not everybody is treated with respect. So that's all I have to say about that. I don't want to get on a rant or just get into some uncomfortable discussion, but that's truly how I feel. In this last part of these interviews, Big O is going to talk about how players have it in the league now, how the status has changed in terms of advice through some players that are still in the league for some of the superstars. So let's talk about how the league has changed a little bit. And in terms of Big O, he's going to also talk about having guaranteed contracts and, oh my God, actually having trainers for you if you get hurt. It's crazy, but these guys didn't have it before. Take a listen. We were always at second-class hotels. Teams refuse to send their trainers on road trips. I, I can't believe this. Yeah. <laughs> but this is where you really get hurt on the road. Well, it's true. I mean, they didn't have a, they didn't have a team doctor, uh, orthopedic man uh, in, in attendance. Yeah, you saying here, you said, and it's funny because I'm laughing at you when I'm reading, but you, you say, um, all I wanted to do was have a contract where if I got hurt, I still got paid. I'm like, guaranteed? Come on, big guy. Like, basketball players, we get guaranteed contracts. Yeah, we do. <laughs> Players didn't get paid for the preseason. Wow. Yeah. And, and you can get hurt in those games and you weren't guaranteed, so you're really working for free, almost getting hurt. Okay. And this is really what is just amazing to me. I didn't realize you guys are getting in from a plane, flying all day, getting in there at 4.30, playing at 6, going straight to the arena. Could you just tell me how bad the conditions were and how blessed we are now Cause compared to what you guys had? Think about if you say we're going to play in New York, we'd get on the first plane going to New York. Wake up at 5 in the morning. If, it's five, if it left at 6.30, then you'd have to be on that flight, get up there and sit down and go to sleep and whatnot and get up and around 4 and 8 and then go play the game. And get up the next morning unless we were going back home. I, I could take my own legs and put a, a figure eight on it. It was great. When you hurt yourself and you hurt your groin in, in Cincinnati, you mean you're just messing with it? I mean, uh, then I went over to Xavier University and I got uh, one of their trainers to work on me. You went over to Xavier, so it wasn't even the team's trainers. Once again, you had to still go get your own medical. Yes, because before that, they didn't have a trainer, they didn't have an orthopedic man in, in attendance at the game, you know, and they didn't have any of those things. And, and to be able to stay in first class hotels, yes. and, and now everyone's got a, got a private jet. They would change it from tourists. The first class for a while. That means you get to fly on certain planes. So that, that meant a lot for the guys also. Isn't that crazy in terms of the way that everything used to be? You think about it now, a lot of these guys, they all do get guaranteed contracts. I mean, that's the way that it is now. And with Oscar Robertson, he was able to fight for some of that stuff. 
and that's what he's going to go ahead and talk about as well. But I think the one thing you think about in terms of guys having to deal with injuries and being from Detroit, I think about Grant Hill in the Teal era, the Pistons. You know, he was great as a Detroit Piston. You know, it was unfortunate with all the stuff that happened with him and the injuries. And unfortunately, it was good that the Pistons got Ben Wallace, but Grant Hill was the guy that was moving the process to go to Orlando. And then Orlando fans, you know, were pretty upset that Grant couldn't get on the court and he had to get all of these knee procedures and all that stuff. So what I'm getting at is when he got into Phoenix and able to get all of this training and all of the, everything that he needs, and then Grant Hill was able to have a little bit of a resurgence, to be able to get some of his youth restored because, you know, he had a little bit of younger legs because he hadn't always played because he'd been hurt. So with Oscar Robertson talking about that he had a hurt growing, he had to go into Xavier University to go ahead and get all that stuff treated because if he let on that, you know, he was hurt, all of his coaches, pros, he could be caught and he wouldn't get any money in return. So it's just absolutely crazy to have to think about that. And in terms of travel and all of that, like you said, guys didn't get paid for the preseason. Guys were able to go ahead and get travel and get better expenses now, did not have to go ahead and sleep in dorms and everything else like Oscar had to do. So they certainly have it a lot better. There's one other comment that he's going to talk about in terms of that reserve clause, and let's get to that now. If you've got a contract, if you played three years, they had rights to you forever if they wanted to. But now, when the Oscar Robson case went into effect, they could no longer do that. But if you want to go to another team, you could go. They could match the offer. You, didn't have, you, didn't, you could still go to wherever you want to go. You didn't have to come back to that team. Because a lot, a lot of them, owners would write things into a contract. And, you know, unless you got a trained eye to look at it, I mean, you know, because... The, the money part is very simple. I said, I'll pay you X amount of dollars to play basketball. But then if you step on the curve wrong, they say, oh, that's detrimental to the game of basketball. And they could cancel your contract. They have different ways of doing that. And that's a little bit about the clause and all of that. If you, if you didn't want to be at a certain team, you didn't have to. Because pretty much all the owners... To be quite frank and just be completely honest with you, all of these guys had a prison sentence contract where the owners pretty much owned you. <laughs> and if they decided that they wanted to go ahead and cut you, they didn't have to pay you. So some of the stuff that Oscar had to deal with, and I hope that a lot of these guys, I know they're not going to get a chance to listen to what I have to say. Hopefully that they just end up dealing with it. I know LeBron James is very well ahead of his time and he understands all of that he was forced to grow grow up quickly as well as Kobe Bryant and all these guys I Michael Jordan I know they have a great understanding of history and students of the game and know exactly where they came from and all I'm saying and all I'm trying to bring to you guys is just a little bit of background because I absolutely love these documentaries and it's just nice to know that these guys came in there and fought so hard to have the rights that these players have today. I just hope the rest of these guys go out there and appreciate it. There's one last section that we have left to go in Oscar Robertson. He's going to talk about some psychology in terms of being able to handle your teammates and how to talk to them and some advice that he has for Carmelo and Kevin Durant. Take a listen. Well, you, you can be nice because people expect you to win, especially with that team they have today. The only problem about it, you got to be almost like a, a, a psychologist. Mm -hmm. Some guys can't take to getting on the 
Yeah, and some can. And you get to understand which ones you get, get to know when to stop. Uh, because I've played with a lot of guys, and look at their stats. They got two rebounds. I said, okay, man, come on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what I would do, Chris, I mean, I would, I'd, I'd throw them the ball on the offense. I'd get them in the play a lot. Because mm -hmm. I felt that if you get your worst player on the offense, you're going to win. Guys who are shooting the ball on the offense are going to work for you. Yeah, yeah. So, so I always knew that. Carmelo was, oh, he's the reason they're not winning. Well, hell, every time they got in trouble through the ball to score. In New York, he's always going to be the bad guy. They may never truly appreciate him. What, what would you say to him? I think that he shouldn't make too many comments about, about what he's going to do. He's, he said, if he's going to do it, I'd do it in private. Just go ahead and play ball because he can't win up there. I mean, they're not going to win games and he can't win with the press. It just seems like they want him to, to do everything. I mean, you got, what, uh, 9 or 10 or 12 other guys on the team? What are they doing? Maybe they can't pick players, right? Do you ever think about that? The, the curse of the big markets. Do you have any advice to Kevin Durant being in Oklahoma yeah, yeah. City? Well, f first of all, let's go back to the system they have by, by drafting. I think player who drafts should have a right to say, hey, I don't want to go here or go there. Myself, I'm glad I played in Cincinnati, but I still think that some players, maybe all players, should have the right to say, I don't want to go where the league wants to send me, because what does it send me? You know, sending a guy, a great player, to see the purgatory, you know, he's never going to get out. I thought that last comment was particularly interesting from Oscar Robertson, because you think about it, a guy gets drafted on draft night, and you know these teams... Think about the Philadelphia 76 Maybe they're just not that good. But they say that they go into tank mode. Or you think about the Los Angeles Lakers this year. You know, they went through some injuries. They don't have Kobe Bryant. Mike D'Antoni can't figure out how to utilize Pau Gasol. He has him out in the perimeter shooting jumpers. And maybe the tankers are in full-on tank mode. So my point, and Oscar's point, is when a player gets drafted by said franchise that they should have the right to not want to go there if they don't want to. <laughs> you think about Eli Manning. Wasn't it that he didn't want to go to the New York Giants and all that stuff was going on? He didn't want to go to his individual team and then he ended up having to go to the New York Giants. I believe that that case was. And in terms of basketball, that's how Oscar Robertson feels about certain players, that they shouldn't have to go to that team if they don't want to go there. And maybe... That's one of those things that goes behind the scenes. You know, all the uh, drafts that are made on the draft night in terms of moving players around, maybe part of that isn't just because of the teams want to move up to try to get that player. Maybe part of that is, too, that these guys don't actually want to play there. And that's not something I ever really thought about, but that's maybe something to keep in the back of your mind. I hope that you enjoyed the Oscar Robertson interview. That's all the quotes that I have. We've gone through pretty much every section of importance to try to get as much to you as possible. I hope the background information has helped as well. If you want to get more information about Oscar Robertson, some of the stuff that I read was directly off of the Wikipedia page. So I think Wikipedia page and the guys that edit it were about Oscar Robertson. There might be some things that you can get on YouTube in terms of like grainy video and all of that. But if this is one of the best documentaries that I've ever heard, to be quite honest, with the Big O and Bill Russell, I think these those two are my absolute favorite on NBA TV. And I definitely think that this guy deserves a spot in that Mount Rushmore. I already talked about that I need to figure out who the fourth is going to be, but I definitely have Big O, 
Michael and Magic is three. I'm just trying to figure out who the fourth is. I really hope you enjoyed the interview. We're going to end Sports and the D now with the Big O documentary, and then I'm going to upload another show in terms of the LeBron James All-Star interview, and then after, we'll talk about the NBA trade deadline stuff. So stay tuned. Stay tuned on Facebook and Twitter, facebook.com slash Gunslinger, Twitter at John Ryanot, and at your listen. I will have this uploaded shortly. You can take a listen to the Big O documentary, and then the LeBron James audio is already done. We'll go ahead and do another show, and then the NBA trade deadline will be up there as well and all the information in the aftermath after that. So stay tuned. All the stuff will be posted shortly. Hope you guys enjoyed this. I hope I was not too boring either. But this has been some great audio, and we'll have the same as it goes to LeBron James as well. So enjoy the night, everybody. Peace out.